Enough games, boy. You think a pack of children can... Wait, what? You will beg for mercy as I feast on your heart. Slow. Are you making some like Big E evil guy speech right now or something? You're like a mile away from me right now. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait. You haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 194. Our movie this week is 2019's Shazam. And joining me to talk about it because like me he hadn't seen it before from the Cheap Seat Reviews. It's Sean. Sean how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. Uh, okay so Obviously, neither of us had seen this movie before this week. Um, but what I'm curious about first is what is your history, if any, with the character of Shazam slash Captain Marvel um, prior to watching this movie? Zero. Absolutely <laughs> zero. Um, I am I am not a big DC comic fan. Um, I, I'm kind of like, hey, I like the Batman movies. That's kind of it, you know. I, I just, I, they, uh, so on our show, there, there's almost a a punchline that, oh, it's DC, then Sean won't like it, right? So it's, it's one of those things. And my co-host, my co-host kept, you know, trying to get me to watch this, this, uh, this movie. Oh, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. It's so much fun. It's kind of like a Marvel movie. So I, I am glad that they forced me to watch it. But yeah, I knew nothing about uh, this uh, this character or any of it. So I don't know how true the movie. You know, <laughs> I don't know any of that. I, I'm totally face value. I can only tell you about the movie itself. Okay. Well, then before I go, because I have a little bit of history with the character, and I'm going to give you some history on him as well. But before I do any of that, as a movie, you got done watching it. What do you think? Um, I liked it. It's a lot of fun. It does have a Marvel kind of feel because it is fun and lighthearted, and it, it's a movie that doesn't feel like there's any consequences. Um. You know, it, it has some heart, right? It has a couple of moments. Mm-hmm. To say it's all comedy would be wrong. There's, there's, you know, there's child abandonment, yeah. You know, as as a theme, and um, you know, there's some other things like that. But you know, for the most part, it, it it's a fun thing. It's, I don't know if we're gonna do like a ranking or whatever. It's not my favorite DC EU film, but it's uh, it's up there. It's pretty. It, it it's probably like second or third. Okay. I have well, to think about that. We we will definitely get into the DCEU at large and kind of talk about it in its in context and all of that um, because I have some thoughts as well on on where it sort of sits in that DC universe of movies. Um, so a little background on the character. First of all, Shazam was not the original name of the character. Um, Shazam is the name of the wizard, and in the original comic, which is one of the older comic characters, um, this character actually debuted in 1939 as part of Fawcett Comics back in the day, and his name was Captain Marvel. Well, 
in the early 40s, Fawcett Comics was actually sued by DC because uh, they felt that Captain Marvel was too similar to Superman. And he had too many of the similar powers and storylines and all of that. So it was a big legal issue with that. And DC sued because Captain Marvel, uh, for most of the 40s, was actually the more popular book. Um, it was more popular than Superman. And um, so DC sues them. Eventually, Fawcett stops producing Captain Marvel comics somewhere around 1953. Um, and then... Later on, DC bought the rights to it, and then they wanted to bring the character back. But by then, uh, it was 1972, I believe, when they wanted to start publishing them again. And Marvel had since changed from Timely Comics to Marvel Comics and also created a character of Captain Marvel. Uh, there was actually another one, a robot of some kind. So there's been a few different Captain Marvels. But by that point, it was kind of... They couldn't really they couldn't really use the name Captain Marvel as the title of the book. So they renamed the book to Shazam after the wizard and the, the word that he would use to transform. Um, but the character was still known as Captain Marvel and the Marvel family for quite a while. And it wasn't really until like the last 10 years or so that they fully changed and started just calling him Shazam. But all of the properties were titled Shazam. Um, there was a, sh a series in the 70s called Shazam, I think a, a, a short series that was, it was this character. Um, but it's just always funny to me that the character's name was Captain Marvel. The wizard was named Shazam, which in and of itself is an acronym anyway. And Shazam is the acronym of the powers. If you, during the, when he was transforming for the first time and, uh, and the wizard was saying all the powers that he has, he had the wisdom of Solomon and the strength of Hercules, and the endurance of Atlas, right? The power of yeah. Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury, Shazam. So that's where the name came from. Um, and eventually it got to a point where he's become kind of a mainline DC character, um, and he is known as kind of Earth's mightiest mortal. Uh, and then they had... When the new 52 came about was when the kind of all the different... Because originally the, the Marvel family was just Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and um, I can't remember if it was like Lady Marvel or I think it was Mrs. Marvel maybe, but that was his sister and then a boy that uh, he was friends with. They ended up kind of retconning that in the new 52 to being the whole Foster family and um, all of those kids being part of the Marvel family or the Shazam family. So that's where that came from. So the movie itself kind of does follow the comics pretty well because you got the old wizard, you got that's how he gets his powers. His powers are based off of magic, which is actually one of the reasons he can go toe to toe with Superman in the comics is his abilities being magic. Black Adam is one of his bigger foes, but also sort of an anti-hero. That's where that movie kind of spawned and, it's actually kind of neat because Dwayne Johnson was a producer on this movie. Originally, the New Line wanted to start working on a movie for Shazam back in the early 2000s. And it kind of just sat in development hell for a long time. Eventually, um, they were going to do a series, and then that kind of got shelved. Dwayne Johnson came along. He really wanted to do this. Um, and so he is a co-producer, a producer on this movie. 
and original concepts for this film were going to have Shazam and Black Adam. And then they decided to give Black Adam his own movie and let Shazam be its own thing. And so that's where we went. But Dwayne Johnson technically is in this movie because the scene where the wizard is explaining the backstory and how they had a previous champion who unleashed the seven deadly sins and all of that, that cool, that really cool looking kind of um, 3D effect that was yeah. Black Adam and that they used Dwayne Johnson's uh, face and everything and likeness for the mo- for the, the CG version in there. So I thought that was kind of neat that they did that. Yeah. And it helps tie everything together. So, but yeah, this movie got started. It was going to have Black Adam. Then they ended up going with the other kind of arch nemesis, which was Dr. Savannah, uh, played by Mark Strong, who we're definitely going to talk about because he was great. Um, and yeah, and we got the movie we did. And and I like how you, you brought up it's a lighter tone than a lot of DC movies, which I think really helps it um, for me. And, uh, and a lot of that starts with sort of the, the idea of it's a kid, right? It's not... It's not Superman who's in his 30s and has been around for a while and got to learn and develop his powers. It's not Bruce Wayne who's a billionaire and he's an adult. This is a 14-year-old kid who suddenly gets these powers. He does exactly what a 14-year-old kid would do with superpowers, which is like test them. And especially in a world where Superman and Batman exist. Because that's one of the kind of neat things about this is it's definitely part of the DC Extended Universe. But it's also almost like our world in that they're you know, Superman and Batman are kind of worshipped as, as cult heroes um, in a lot of ways in this in this world. So you got this 14-year-old kid who finally, he just gets superpowers and he's a bit of a fanboy. And so the lighter tone fits that too, I think, quite a bit. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, and I will admit, I kept kind of getting annoyed because you have to, like when he is Shazam and he's... Um, uh, uh, being played by that uh, by Chuck, I just want to say Chuck. I can't think oh, of his Z- real name. Zachary Levi. Zachary Levi. When he's being played by him, but he's still acting like a kid. <laughs> like you have to like like your brain has to go. Remember, that's a fourteen year old kid. Like why does he keep acting like a child? Oh, mm-hmm. because he is a child, right? Yep. He's this is the superhero version of Big. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because it is the superhero version of Big. Some of Big was influenced by the comic of Shazam of Captain Marvel. Oh, me. And so then to have the moment with the giant piano in the toy store in this movie as a, as a little nod to big, I thought was kind of cool too. Cause that was the first thing I thought when I heard, when I started hearing the piano and then it looks down and he's standing on the giant piano. I'm like, Hey, they did yeah. that in big too. And then that's when it triggered me to remember, Oh, that's right. Cause I had read about how this comic was, was a partial influence to that. So it all comes full circle. Um, what did you think of Zachary Levi in the role? I thought he was great. I, I mean, I like him a lot. I loved him and Chuck. I was mm-hmm. a big fan of that series. And I, I just, I thought he, I thought he was kind of the perfect role for it because one, he, he is very tall, mm-hmm. you know, for a Hollywood actor, the fact that he's like six foot one or six, two or something like that. Like the fact that he is actually tall yep. does help the fact that when he's in the suit and the suit is, you know, aiding his physique uh, let's not kid ourselves. Zachary Levi isn't that felt, but I thought he was great because he, I mean, even in Chuck, he's a kid. Yep. He's a, he's a kid that has superpowers 
you know, just uh, he just can't fly and punch things. But you know, he turns into it. So I, I really, um, I really thought he was, yeah, Ace Moon. I see you there. He he did get the uh, he got. There's a difference between getting fit and getting what that suit was portraying. I think is my. Point. Oh yeah, yeah. He because he put on like 20 pounds. I think he got up to about 220 and got himself yeah. built as much as he could for the role, but they still, the suit still buffed him up even more. Um, but yeah, his, his height helped. Uh, I just love his, like he, Zachary Levi has that kind of youthful exuberance and he can pull off the, the child mind inside an adult body really well. Yeah. Like, cause he's a guy, I don't know his actual age. I'm, I'm pulling him up on IMDb. He like, he's a 35 year old. that looks like, he, like he, no, he's my age. Okay. He's 42, but looks like, like I just said, he's 35. I'm saying yeah. like, <laughs> like I, I would have, I would have bet I get, well, yeah. So he was 40 when he made this movie mm-hmm. or like, like he's my age and, but he looks like he's, you know, 28 or something like that. You know? Yeah. He pulls I mean, that even off in the really movie, well. Even the movie, he's not sure what his age is. He's like, I'm, you know, a 30 ish. I'm at least mid twenties. Um, yeah. And and I think also he pulls off, he is able to do the stunt work well, and it's believable that he's doing a lot of this stuff while also being a little bit all knees and elbows at the same time. Like he's got to, he has to look a little bit awkward, especially early on with these powers, because he doesn't, not only does he not have super strength and flight and super speed and all this, but he doesn't even have a fully formed adult body yet. And so there's that extra layer of uh, like awkwardness that you would have. And I think that he pulls that off well. Like the way he sort of half poses like Superman when he's trying to fly, but he doesn't quite get it right. And he's always like awkward and, and still moving around strangely. It's I really like that. And I loved just just his his energy was so great because he really pulled off that 14-year-old in an adult's body. Um, really, really well, and he had great chemistry with uh, Jack Dylan G- Grazer as Freddie, too, which is that's the relationship that really has to work in the movie. Those yeah. two, those two have to get along, and I mean that kid, Jack Dylan Grazer, I loved in It. Um, and okay. and he but, was he was also very good in this. Did you see yeah, it? I, having not, I have not. I saw the original. I have not okay. seen the new one. So he he's one of the kids in that, and and I liked him in there. And in this, he just has he is that audience surrogate. He's that that guy that is the huge superhero fan, and so we get to kind of see things through his eyes a little bit. But also, they did a good job. I feel like of balancing his uh, desire to be friends with Billy almost immediately, and sort of that connection that they want to make, and somewhat coveting what he has because Billy's been given this amazing gift when they find out that he's got the superpowers that Freddie wants uh, for obvious reasons. Like that scene where, where Billy says to him, you know, oh, you, you're just jealous because you want it. And he's like, well, no shit. Of course I do. That's the perfect yeah. response because it's exactly what this kid is thinking. So I, I liked him. Yeah, a lot. And he, you know, and he feels kind of slighted because he's like, I'm the fanboy. I'm the one that does, you know, that knows all the things and whatever. And you just lucked upon it. Mm-hmm. And and that's a trope that we've seen in other things too. But yeah, it was, it was, it was really well acted. And those two were really good together, especially Zachary Levi and him. Like 
you know, the, the two of them, like they even say in the movie, like you two are arguing like a married couple, which <laughs> is just really funny. It's a funny line. Oh yeah. Well, like the scene where he's first learning about his powers and then they go to the supermarket, the, the little like superstore, um, convenience store to buy beer is just great. Like that whole scene plays out yeah. so well. Uh, when, you know, here he is, he's videotaping him. He's like, well, maybe it's just the shoot, shoot him in the face. Like they've known each other for a day. And that's his, the first thing he thinks. And just when they, then they drink the beer, they realize that they hate it. So they go back in and just get yeah. a bunch of junk food. Um, it's just such a fun, fun scene. And the two of them having fun doing all that and all the names he comes up with, uh, are great. I love, I, I love that trope. Yes. Yeah. I, I adore that trope of like somebody trying to come up with a name for a superhero and all the dumb names they do. Mr. Philadelphia, uh, Thundercrack, just all of them. (laughs) That sounds like a butt thing. Yeah. Let's not do that one. (laughs) No. Um, so yeah. And then, and then for the character of Freddie, who again, he's got the crutch, right? He's got, he's disabled and we never are really told exactly why, like why he needs the crutch. He makes some jokes early on, um, as he's like messing with him. And that's it. And then it's never really mentioned again, which I kind of like. But that character, when he becomes a superhero at the end, what's the first thing he does? He flies. He immediately lifts off yeah. the ground and is able to fly. Like, And that also ties back to the thing he said when he has that first conversation with Billy, where he's like, all right, superpower, uh, flight or invisibility, which one do you choose? Right? And he, he talks about how flight is the, the superpower of heroes. And so once again, the second he gets superpowers, he starts flying. Like, I just loved that. That was such a cool, there's a lot of those little moments in this that, um, that for me worked really well, but I liked, and, and Adam Brody was a great choice to play an older version of that kid, because I think that the, the look is right. And like, it just, it fit for me. Yeah. Um, Mark Strong is never bad in anything. And, true. and he is still good in this, even when the script kind of lets him down because he is the least interesting of the characters in the movie, I would say, which is unfortunate because usually you want your villain to have more complexity. And it feels like there's, there were parts of the movie where it just felt like the script made him generic bad guy because bad guy. Um, and in a lesser actor's hands, that wouldn't work. But Mark Strong is just... He's too good to not not rise above that. Um, and he makes a great bad guy because he's just he can he can have that menacing presence. In fact, he's so good at it. There are times where I'm watching movie thinking, waiting for his turn. Uh, I think it was Kingsman the first time I watched yeah, Kingsman, the Secret first Service. Time watch- yeah. And you spend the whole movie. To- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I did the same thing. It's like, oh, you hire Mark Strong. Obviously, he's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> Like it, it, it ha- he has to be, and then no, and then he, then he does the thing in the second movie, and you're like, he's allowed to be a good guy. Like I didn't know that was in his contract. And what's great about that for those movies is that it feels so much better in those movies because you spend all that time waiting for that turn, and it doesn't happen, and then you're like, so he really is this really good guy. That's awesome. But like yeah. when, but boy, when you want him to be the bad guy, man, can he pull it off? Like that boardroom scene in this was that was a scene that I wasn't ready for uh, because the rest of the movie didn't feel like it had that tone. Right. 
Like, yeah, it was that ruthlessness and that brutality that he showed when he walked in there. And when his brother pulls the chair back to get between him and his dad, and you know something's going to happen to him. What I didn't know was that he was just going to literally flick him out the window of the high rise. Yeah. I was like, okay, so now we know how this guy works. Got it? Yeah. It, it, you're not wrong. That that scene was pretty jarring, especially when the one, uh, whatever, ate the oh, yeah. off somebody else. like that. He, Sorry, the chat got me on that one. He flicked too hard. Um, the... Uh, yeah, that, that, the head head munching scene was a little. Uh, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, it's a good thing I didn't watch this with my ten year old because that would be a little, a little much." But I, uh, to your point though, yes, Mark Strong is great. I think probably my favorite Mark Strong character is still going to be in Stardust. I love him mm. in Stardust. He's very good. And, in that. And that was kind of like the first time that I like really noticed him. He'd been in a handful of other things before, but it was like, keep seeing this guy show up and he keeps being bad guys. Because I think I saw him like the next year or two in Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I started like looking for movies that he was in. So he is great. I mean, he's kind of like the Gary Oldman of the 90s, right? When every time Gary Oldman was in a movie, he was the bad guy. Yeah. And he was really good in it. So like he was the perfect casting to make him you know, like in Harry Potter, when if you hadn't read the book and you see Gary Oldman on screen, you're like, well, he's obviously a bad guy. <laughs> right. You right. know, like that's why they that's why they cast him. Yeah, so. yeah you, you bring him in to play a villain. And yeah. like usually, more often than not, that's what happens with Mark Strong. But he's good regardless. He was even good in, uh, oh, what was the movie with, uh, it had... Um, um, Borat, uh, it was te- it's an awful movie. Um, I can't think of the name of it now. Mark Strong, yeah, but Mark Strong is in it and he's great. Like he's just he's just good in so much. Um, all right. What I liked about him in this was so. Okay, if I have a if I have a criticism of this movie and it's not, I like this movie a lot. Um, but. I still want to look at things from a critical eye. And if I have a criticism of it, it's that it's an origin story. And so because of that, there's a lot to try to pack into a two hour and 10 minute movie. And this felt like a very full two hour and 10 minute movie. You could have easily made this longer. Now I know why they didn't. um, And I know why movie companies are, are reluctant to do that. Uh, Not everybody is like me and willing to sit through a three hour movie. You know, I loved the Batman and I don't care that it was three hours long, but I get that a lot of people aren't. So you got to try and trim things down. But there was so much going on here and you had the the origin of Shazam. You also had the origin of your villain. And you've got this family dynamic that they're trying to play into this, too, which is very important for the story that they're telling. So it's a lot going on. But you started off the opening cold open scene with Thaddeus and his uh, brother and his dad while they're driving in the car. Um, was good, but it's sort of one of those, like they could have trimmed that down a little bit. They could have trimmed a little here and there to kind of speed things along. I don't, it, there was some times where the pacing wasn't great for me. Um, casting wise though, like everybody hit the mark. Um, John Glover plays Thaddeus's dad, the unnamed Mr. Savannah. 
And John Glover is that, that type of character actor where most of the time you don't know his name, but you see him in something, you're like, I've recognized that guy. I've seen him before. This isn't his first DC thing either. Um, he was actually in, unfortunately, Batman and Robin. <laughs> but he was well, also... Mark Strong, he also was in, uh, he was in the Green uh, Lantern. Yes, yep, that's right. As, as, Sinestro. as Sinestro. Yeah. So. Um, John Glover also voiced the Riddler in the Batman animated series back in the 90s. So he's he's been around uh, for a while doing doing comic book stuff. I think he was also, I want to say he was in the live action Flash series, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but I thought he was a great choice to play the dad, even though like on paper that character is one-dimensional and awful, like the worst father you could imagine. And it was, parents were weird in this, right? Like the biological parents of both Savannah and Billy, not really that great, but the foster parents, foster parents were awesome. And that's almost where like, again, the family part of things, my nitpick is, uh, is that I wanted more of that foster family to get that feeling that he feels like he belongs. That almost that felt a little rushed to me. And I understand it. You gotta you almost have to have him start the movie not with that family and then join the family and then by the end of it feel accepted. But it felt like we went from A to B to C too quickly. There wasn't enough time for he that was, to build. He was very resistant of the family dynamic. I mean he's even as Shazam, he's walking around going you just have to be solo. You can't rely on family. Like he's, he's so resistant of it. And then at the end, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. My family can save the day. And so you're not wrong about that. The other thing I'm going to piggyback on your point, you said earlier about Mark strong and his character being kind of one note. And most, most movies, comic book movies, are based on how how does the villain do, right? Like how interesting is the villain? Yep. And he, we don't get a lot of screen time with him. I mean, we we really don't. You know, he's he's a kid. He gets rejected. Yep. And then we see him again where he gets the powers, and then we have the boardroom scene, and then kind of the third act, he's kind of there, but he doesn't say much. He just he's just there to fight and. Yeah open his mouth and let the, you know, the smoke come out. So he doesn't, he doesn't really get to do a whole lot in this movie. It would have been, I think a little bit, I, you said it was already two hours plus. I maybe could have used a little bit less of the, of the figuring out what powers montage. Cause we already learned, you know, he, he's already bullet resistant. We already know those things. So there's mm. some of those tests we didn't really need, but you know, if he can get shot in the face, I'm pretty sure fire is not going to bother him. But anyway, th- the point is, is that I would have, I wouldn't have minded either a little bit more of, you know, because all we get from Mark Strong is whiny kid to he's just a guy at a lab who figures things. I don't know. I just, I, I wouldn't have liked to, to find out what boundaries he was willing to push to get to what he wants. Because I mean, obviously that like that woman does die, though there's no consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she touches the wall and then she just disintegrates and then whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Some of my other griefs and Ace Moon three says one of her, uh, or him, I don't know. Sorry. That the movie was set in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I, that was one of those where 
Because when they say it in the movie, they're like, oh, right, we're in Philadelphia. And I thought, is Philadelphia in D.C.? I don't know. It is. Because you only ever hear of Gotham and Metropolis. I just assumed that the rest of the United States were just those two cities. <laughs> um, and apparently they're next to each other, too. There's these huge, massive, multi-million people cities that are just next to each other yep. in, in the D.C. thing. So it was Pittsburgh. Okay. So, see, I didn't know that. I, I, I don't know anything about D.C. I really don't. And it's just because it's, yeah, it's they, not my jam. I'm just, I, I just, I, I like movies that are happy and fun. And like, I like Chuck, you know, I don't watch Game of Thrones for, because I don't like the, the dark side of humanity. And I've always kind of feels like DC is, is just trying to constantly show us the dark side of, I mean, hell the Joker movie that we did for our show, like, it was great, and I see why he won an Oscar, but I damn, I never want to see that movie again. It was depressing. And part of it is, it's not even that DC only wants to make those movies. It's almost as though they do some of that based on... DC and Warner Brothers, because Warner Brothers owns DC, Warner Brothers tends to be more kind of filmmaker-focused in their uh, films. So they they let you know the the Christopher Nolans and such do their thing, and uh, whereas Marvel has a very much a style, even pre Disney, they had a a thing that they were going for in creating their universe, and so they have you know unique directors, but they still kind of all fit into a little bit of a formula, a little bit of like uh, you know we're making this, this is part of what we do, and you're gonna base that inside of here whereas dc movies tend to stand on their own and dc's done that for a long time but what's interesting is that their comics not always dark and not always have to be dark but for some reason the movie adaptations get that way um and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't like part of why the a lot of the dceu stuff got that feel is because Zack snyder was helming that and Zack snyder is just a different he's a filmmaker that likes that style more and so that's what he was going to go for. That's where you get your, because it's, you know, it's Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, and then Justice League. And those three movies are all Zack Snyder movies. Um, even even the 2017 version of Justice League is a Zack Snyder movie that was finished by Joss Whedon. Yeah. And they're, they, they have a certain tone to them that is very Zack Snyder. And that sometimes, that works for some people really well. I didn't mind them, but... It's, it really depends. Like, I think it works for Batman to have a darker, grittier tone to it because he's he's a character that's based in not being superhuman. He's not... So he doesn't have these powers and he works at a different level, whereas a character like a Superman, I feel like, works better when you know, you're, you're looking at the positive aspects of it and the hope that he can bring. So... That was my biggest issue with with um, Man of Steel. Now Shazam, being a kid that gets superpowers, the tone should be lighter. And what they did here that I think worked was they worked in that lighter tone with some heavy subject matter because family stuff is very heavy. And Billy, at the beginning of the movie, is trying so hard to find his mom. That's his driving thing. He's left what what did they say it was twenty three foster homes. Uh, he's run away. Or yeah, twenty three times at least, number. but it was yeah. a, and it was, it was him 
searching for his mom and constantly looking for her. And the fact that when he's remembering the day that he got separated from her, the way that he is, and then when you go back, when you watch it, um, and you watch the second time that he's remembering that day when he finally finds his mom after she had changed to her maiden name, mm-hmm. they were really like, again, I talk about the little touches in the film and this was one of them. When, when that second flashback to that day, it's just a little bit different. Her tone of her voice is a little bit different. The way she's phrasing things are, the way she's dressed is just slightly different. Her jacket is got a zipper instead of the clasps that it had. And her, her coat or her hat and her gloves are a different color. They're not the bright white uh, that, that he remembered them being. And like all of these little touches that are just different that help to, to kind of hammer home the point of like life wasn't what he remembered it being at that point. And it's all kind of what the pedestal that he had his mom put up on has crumbled out from underneath her. And it's, that's his like growth moment. But it was just, it was something really cool that I liked. And, and then mixing in that really heavy, cause that scene I wrote, well, this is just heartbreaking. That whole scene in the, in the hallway when he meets her and they were able to balance that with this lighter tone of like thunder crack and, you know, and all yeah. that silly stuff I really enjoyed. I just wish that the character of Dr. Savannah, we had gotten a little more background on because you're right. We go from kid to adult just about to realize his dream. We don't get that background. All of it is wrapped up in like one or two shots of his father and his brother blaming him for his father's injury in the car accident, which was a weird, weirdly staged scene anyway, just based on how it was. So like, that's where, you know, I just, I wanted more of that. And there's really only two ways to do it. You lose some of the foster family stuff or you make the movie longer. And if it's me, I go for longer, but you got to pace it right. And that's where it could get tricky. Yeah. Yeah. But saying all that, I loved the stuff with the foster family because I thought that that was well, really great. Well, the foster great. family, yeah, they're, they're, they are really great. And it is interesting that like, like a true eclectic family, everyone is very different. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the kid that's super quiet and just very reserved. You've got the girl that's like super outgoing and, you know, has made posters and, and whatever. You've got the, the nerdy kid that can hack things or whatever. And then you've got the, the girl that the aspiring, you know, girl who was ready to go off to college. And then you've got these two parents that are like, uh, you know, like a uh, youth pastor man. And, you know, like <laughs> they were just the nicest people on the planet. And, you know, it, it was it was kind of really sweet to see this 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 family dynamic. It, they were they were really cute. It is, and it's also really nice to see a film portray foster families and foster parents and things in a positive light. And it's not a bad situation, and it, like nobody is taking advantage of this. Like so often, you get the either like, and it's the trope that goes all the way back to the wicked stepmother or like. Um, Harry Potter and his, his his family that take him in because he's an orphan, and it's nice to see like an orphaned kid taken in by a family who just is just doing their best. Like the parents are really trying hard, and they're not pushing too much. And I like I love the scene where uh, Freddie and Billy are sneaking back in um, 
while he's uh, he's adult size Shazam, and mm-hmm. you get the parents talking, and there's just that one moment where the dad uh, Victor is like, "Look, we can't force it. You know, it's it's not a home until you want it to be. Basically, like we got to just let him do what he does, and hopefully he'll come around." And I just love that. Like I love the positivity of it, and. By extension, the kids are positive too because they enjoy being in that environment, even though they're not with their biological families. Like Faith uh, Herman, who played Darla, was just the most adorable yeah. little girl. And the fact that y- you've always, like like you said, the eclectic family, you have kind of all the, the tropes, all the archetypes, and she's the overly happy, exuberant one. So I love that she just runs up immediately and gives him a hug and starts calling him her brother by the next day at school. Like she's just immediately taking him in as a brother because she's she's young enough she doesn't know any better, like she doesn't know any different. That's just what family is to her at that age. And so I loved all of that. And then the when they all get their superpowers at the end, they once just like with Zachary Levi, they all portrayed that perfectly. Like the adult version of of uh, Darla was perfect. She was just great. Um, but yeah, I loved all of that, and I liked how. I like too that you had the oppo- the opposition of Silva si- is it not Sivana? I won't keep wanting to say Silvana, but it's Sivana. Um, yeah, Mark he's, Strong, not the light bulb maker, or yeah. the, uh, and they, they make light bulbs, right? Yeah, Sylvania, Sylvania, yeah. Um, but he gets the power. He spends his entire life searching for this power again because he was shown it as a kid and rejected. Right, because he had that moment of weakness, and so the wizard rejects him, and then his father blames him for stuff happening, and so he spends his entire life going after this thing, and as soon as he gets it, he immediately goes to the people that were presumably closest to him in his father and his brother, which I'm using closest in a very loose term here because apparently he doesn't care about anyone, and kills them. And, and cuts them out of his life and hoards all that power for himself. And Billy, who has spent most of his life trying to find his mom and trying to make a family connection and sort of rejecting uh, all these attempts in foster families, eventually comes around to realize that this foster family and the people that are backing him are the power and he shares that power with them. And I thought that was really cool, the way that they, they did all that. The way he beat... Dr. Uh, Savannah is by bringing his family into it and sharing all that power. And then together they were able to defeat him. So that to me was another kind of cool piece of uh, underlying parts of the, of the story that just made it uh, lighter and happier for me. So I, I like stuff like that. Yeah, I, I do too. It, it did have a, a kind of a nice symmetry that way that you have. You know, the bad side has this, you know, it, it's kind of like the polar opposite, right? It, yep. It's with kind of with anything, right? I mean, so I, I did, as you know, because you've been on my show, I like to take notes and sometimes in my notes I ask questions. I don't sure. think I really asked a lot. Well, a few questions I did ask was like, hey, who are these guys with the pickup truck? Because <laughs> these, these, they just show up and they hit the kid. Yeah. Right. And then they're all mad because like, oh, you, you, you buffed, you like, you scratched my car. And I'm like, who are these kids? Are these, are these, and then eventually I'm like, Oh, they're, they're, they're schoolmates to this guy. So yep. they apparently bullying him is a thing, but 
in movie world, you can just park wherever the hell you want without consequences. Oh, and you can hit somebody that's <laughs> with a car. You know, like I, I have a hard time imagining in 2019 with as many cell phones as they are that two teenagers could be as mean to this kid as they are and get away with it. Yeah. I mean, it, they, <laughs> my note was just bullies. I hate bullies. But then also, you know, these were these bullies were written from the Stephen King school of writing bullies. Like they're just, they're just complete dicks for the purpose of being complete dicks. Like that's what they're yeah. in the movie for. And they're not Ford Ford pickup. Cause I don't know if you noticed that when it would pull up and be right in front of camera, it's almost like, yeah. and I saw uh, somebody mention this in like a breakdown of the movie or something. It's almost like Ford was okay with the, with their truck being in the movie. And then they realized, Oh, it's going to be in a scene where they hit a kid that uses crutches. So maybe we just, uh, not have the name. Cause that grill would normally just say Ford in great big letters on the front yeah. of that Raptor. And it doesn't, it just like, Oh, so that I noticed that right away. And that made me chuckle. Well, and the funny thing is, is that cause when it gets crushed and then dropped my, my <laughs> initial, my, my first reaction was that's not the same truck. It looks different. <laughs> It like it, the wheels look different. Like none, of, it didn't look the same at all. But, uh, but you're, it is funny. Yeah, Ford. Ford's like, hmm. Well, it's like Apple, right? If you are a villain, you are not allowed to use an iPhone. Yeah, that's, that's in their, it's in their contracts. If you see somebody with a Samsung, either that means that Samsung sponsored the movie, or they're a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, Spider Man always used a, a Sony phone because, you know, it's, it's a Sony movie. But, yeah. Um. Product placement like that is funny. Uh, it is. It, it really is. But yeah, the bullies were so just the like, other- they were just bullies to be bullies. And that, that again, like normally that would bother me more than it did in this movie. Like, I, I feel like I gave that a lot of leeway of just like, well, it is a comic book. It is, we're, we're, we're leaning into the tropes, but okay, fine. I can let that go type of thing even though like you i had the same question of like who are they oh okay they're other students but they i guess my and maybe i missed it i don't know it just feels like they just disappeared right they they have the incident with the truck and then they go they're at the fair at the carnival and these two dudes are in the bucket by themselves which is a little strange to me but whatever and they're they're like spitting on people and just being again just dicks and then they have to be rescued, but it almost feels like there was no resolution to that rescue. I wanted Zachary Levi's character to rescue them. I mean, well, I know, I know, it, the, I know the kid that does rescue the kid that as an adult, mm-hmm. which is what. Makes that, and then he gives them the the suitcase wedgie. Yeah, because we get lines like, "Oh, are you giving a suitcase wedgie or something?" Like, so, like, I get that, but. Were they in the final scene? I don't remember them being there in the in the in the cafeteria. Uh, no, I don't remember that either. Um, they really, I don't think that they were. I do feel like Act Three of this movie did have some things cut from the the final sequence with all of the Shazam family. In part, like I know I read that the woman who played older Mary, um, she was cast in part because of her ability to dance. And there was a lot of dancing style action sequences that she was a part of that just got cut. So I do think that there was some stuff in that final scene that we probably just ended up not seeing. 
Um, and some of that may have had to do with the two bullies getting rescued by, um, by Freddy. Because, yeah, at least they gave us the payoff of the suitcase wedgies. But that was that was another one of those great scenes where Freddy is so upset with Billy when he comes to the top of the steps, and he throws his shredded underwear at him after the suitcase wedgie. Yeah, where, you know, it was that was that dynamic that was the most fleshed out. But again, could have used more, um, I think. So yeah, I agree. Um, so one. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You go ahead. So one of the other notes that I wrote, again, I, and I wrote a handful. So my my, my very first note was, uh, uh, is okay, I always pronounce his name wrong. Is it uh, Jaman Hansu? We don't pronounce the D, right? Or right, is it, it's, it's is Jaiman. It's Jaiman Hansu. Oh, Jaiman Hansu. I've never yeah. known how to say that. Thank you for, for that. So I said, oh, he's in this and Marvel. That's cool. Yep. You know, <laughs> he's, he gets to do the... He's the only one in both Captain Marvel movies. Ah. Because technically uh, oh, Shazam's name yeah. was Captain Marvel. I like it. Plus, like he it. was in another um, uh, DC one, I think, along with... Well, he was in Constantine. Constantine. He was in Guardians um, as well as Captain Marvel. But, yeah, Constantine, he's... Uh, look, Jaiman Hansu is putting him in a ridiculous wig and crazy eyebrows and you still like kind of buy everything he's saying. Like you buy the character, you oh, yeah. buy the wizard. You believe him because it's Jaiman Hansu and that guy's just good in everything. He's yeah. like he, a Mark he, Strong. Exactly. He, well, he, he brings weight to things. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like if it would have just been any other African-American actor that we, like, we don't really care about because it's such a small part, mm -hmm. you know, like saying like, I don't. I don't know. Just I feel like, but you put him in it. You know, it it gives real weight. Plus, his accent and his his voice is just so commanding. Yes. That when he says, "Grab the staff and say my name," it's like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. He's he's great. I'm trying to think of something because I I also know him from. Uh, trying to think what else he was in. Well, he's. I mean, well, he was in that. he was in Gladiator, which I just covered a couple weeks ago, and he's great in that. Uh, I love oh, him in uh, Blood Diamond. I like him in Push. Push. He's, he's in Push, which is yep. also kind of a I mean, it's not a Marvel, but it, you know, it's a thing. Yeah, Constantine. Yep, Constantine. He was great, and he was uh, he has a very small role, but he was a lot of fun in a movie called um, Deep Rising, which was a Stephen Summers movie pre The Mummy. That's like just a, a goofy bonkers like monster movie at sea and he's got this small role as one of the mercenaries in it and i just remember him in that because his death scene is memorable um but yeah he's just I can't he's, even find that what's it called deep rising yeah it's old it's like 97 98 uh i think it's it's considerably oh yeah there it is um oh yeah look at that but cool. i remember i remember him in blood diamond and just you know, Amistad is another one. Obviously, people remember him from. Um, if yeah, you go yeah. back that far, like the guy's just the commanding voice is what does it, right? He's just he's got a voice you recognize it right away, and it's that weight that he brings, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. There were some other people that were up for the the character of Shazam, uh, the the wizard. Some of the names that were tossed around were Alan Alda. Which would have been very different. Yeah. It's it's hard to picture Hawkeye yeah. as the wizard, but maybe because he's considerably older by now. F. Murray Abraham, 
Okay. Um, the these are these are IMDb trivia, so kind of grain of salt, right? Yeah, you get a grain of salt. Uh, Michael Keaton, uh, which would have been an okay. interesting interesting one to see pre like. Yeah, but it's hard yeah. it, under that much makeup. You might have been able to get away with having uh, Pittsburgh's own Michael Keaton in there, but um, I don't I don't know just based on how tied he is to Batman. I'm not sure that. I would want Michael Keaton in a DC movie. But at the same time, I also kind of want to see that version of Shazam because I want to see Michael Keaton in that getup. And also Tony Shalhoub, which Tony Shalhoub would have been very (laughs) interesting because he's mostly known for comedic stuff, obviously. Yeah. But there's something about the idea of him, again, in that long, you know, this is this old wizard. There's something interesting there. So I, I lean more towards, of that list, the Michael Keaton, Tony Shalhoub end than I do, say, Alan Alda or Efford Murray Abraham. Um, I just... Yeah, Michael Keaton... Uh, my only issue with Michael Keaton is because there has been rumor, and it's one of those rumors that's been around forever, that he's going to reprise his Batman role in as old man Batman in, like, Batman... With the new Batman, whatever it's called, like the well, with the, like the new whatever. I mean, and, he did actually reprise his role as Batman in Batgirl, and then they, or Bat, either Batgirl or it's Batgirl movie that they finished and now shelved. He's in that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then they decided that they're not going to release that movie, so we'll never see it unless someone leaks Bat- it. Yeah. Um, so he had actually come back, and also he's supposed to be in the Flash. I believe if that movie ever okay. comes out either. Um, <laughs> but like the Shalhoub or Keaton bring a different version of this wizard to the screen. Cause I feel like, like Shalhoub, yeah, Shalhoub yeah, has is really good at that, that I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. Oh no, you're Shalhoub fine. has that, like that, like nervous energy, mm-hmm. like twitchy kind of thing. You know, it's just, like I, I know mostly, yeah, I know Shalhoub. I've not seen him in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think he's in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mostly know him from Monk, the TV show on, on yep. ABC. That's what I mostly know him from. Yeah. So, like seeing him, like as the kid walks in, and he, you know, like saying, "Hi, I'm Shazam. Can you wipe your feet?" <laughs> the, the we just washed the floors. Um, just. And I know be. that there are only seven deadly sins. I really wanted to get ten. It's been bothering me for a thousand years. <laughs> like, like, that's all I can see. Well, because wh- what's interesting about it is the wizard character in this movie. The first time we meet him is with Thaddeus, and he's you know he's searching for his champion. But when we meet him again with Billy, he's kind of like he's out of options at this point. You know, he's the the sins have been released. And all of this kind of stuff, and I'm I'm just I'm picturing Tony Shalhoub playing that version of him that's like desperate and kind of at the end of his rope, and it's like, look, I you, you might not be the perfect choice, but like you're the choice that I've, you're the best of the choices that I've had, so let's do this thing. Um, and Keaton could pull that off too, but Keaton would pull it off in like a more unhinged way, because Michael Keaton has that ability that sort of you don't quite know what he's going to do, Beetlejuice type thing, where you're just like, yeah. You're just not sure. So it's like, it'd just be very different. Um, but, you know, uh, what we got was Jaiman Hansu, and, ah, man, he's just just cool. Like, the, it, 
it shouldn't work. That look, that getup should not work on anyone because those eyebrows were insane. <laughs> and and they do it perfectly, too, with the joke of the name where he says, you know, you say my name, it's Shazam. And the kid starts to chuckle just that little bit. And he's like, what? And like, I'm sorry, Jaiman Hansu yells at you like that. You straighten right up and it's like, sorry, sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean it. Like, yeah, yeah. that was perfect. I loved all of that. <laughs> They even made a dick joke, right? He's like, grab my staff. He's like, ew. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> like once we once we got to that point, I'm like, oh, okay. This is what we're doing. All right. Mm-hmm. We're we're doing this, which is fine. Again, he's a fourteen year old kid. Exactly. Uh, I'm I'm here for it. Um uh, uh, yeah. I uh let's see. Um Oh, uh, I also, Mark Strong was very enthusiastic about playing the villain, by the way. He likes to play villains because they're they're usually a lot of fun. Which I hear a lot of actors yeah. say that. Um, the Seven Deadly Sins, which are the the real villains of things, right? Because they're kind of the power behind Thaddeus in a way. Even though Thaddeus is not a good guy at all. It's the, the Seven Deadly Sins that ultimately run him. And I didn't hate their look. I do feel they were a little too monochromatic. Like I just wanted some variation, some more variation in kind of the coloring of them. But yeah. the design of each of them was kind of neat. And some of it was slightly influenced by the terror dogs from Ghostbusters, according to the director. Okay. Um, so I could see that with like the texture of them, that the sort of the skin that they had. Um, I just wish that we had seen just a little bit more variation on the colors because they really, even outside of the statue form, they just looked like the color of a statue. Which, you know. I, they, they, they reminded me of what... If they were going to make the a gargoyles movie, ooh, kind of what they would look like. Ooh, you're not wrong there. You're you're not no, you're not no. far off there. Actually, kind of like it, that. It, it, yeah, it kind of it just kind of reminds me. They were kind of neat. I will. I, I so Shazam says it later. Zachary Levi says it later in the movie. But so when they're in the boardroom, and so if one guy gets his face eaten, he gets his head eaten. Yep. And. And so my wife, so I watch most of the movies I do for the podcast, I watch with my wife. And so yeah. we, with this, we're watching it and she says, huh, so if gluttony is going to eat one of them and we see that greed, I guess, just rips him apart because he's got four arms. Yeah. And she looks at me and she says, what does lust do? <laughs> and I'm like, you wondering if. Because there's because the camera comes out you know out you know we just see people up against the glass door or whatever, yeah. and I was like, you think somebody's getting? <laughs> she's like, yeah, probably. And I said, but then what does sloth do? Does he just like lay on you and fall asleep and just take a nap <laughs> on top of you? And Maybe. she's like, that would still suck. I'm like, well, you're right. <laughs> I did. I was. I appreciated that they didn't um, make the lust uh, sin like. Uh, overly feminine, which tends to be the trope to do when you're when you're doing that. Sure. I appreciated that. I like I say I like the design of things. They just they did something. The four armed greed was kind of cool. Like he's got more arms than you need, so you can grab more stuff. And uh, the one that really got me was uh, was gluttony, the mouth from from head to you know middle to of the stomach, belly button. Yeah, that was pretty creepy. Uh, but but it was good. But I also like that when he does his big scream, 
he was uh, kind of in the back, like kind of a little far away from mm-hmm. the camera. But we didn't really have to get too much of that because it's like, ooh, that might be really scary if you are, a, you know, a 12 year old kid in the theater watching this. That yeah. might be pretty gnarly. Imagine if this was made by like Sam Raimi in the, the 90s version or even the today version of Sam Raimi, who was up for directing this at one point. Oh, interesting. Would have been. See, I uh, really liked his take of Doctor Strange too. I did too. Uh, I'm just I'm picturing that boardroom scene, if Sam Raimi directed it, and it's got a lot more, uh, a lot more cut. flashing lights, quick cuts, and like zoom in Dutch angles, and yeah. it's very disorienting. <laughs> Which, yeah. Well, I mean, one of my favorite quote unquote horror scenes in film is when Doc Ock's arms are attacking oh, yeah. the Doctor. Oh, that's so good. In, and Doc is asleep the whole time. And mm-hmm. just because so, like when you first when you watch Spider-Man one, it doesn't really feel like a Sam Raimi movie. Not really. It's got some moments. And I felt like when watching the second one, even then in 2004 in the theater going, oh, Sony let him do what he wanted. The time. Yeah, they, they let but Sam they off the, the leash for a, for a scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think I think that movie has feels more like a Sam Raimi film. I don't know, just even the fight scene on the L train, which mm-hmm. is one of the coolest fight scenes in Marvel or in comic book movies. I think that that scene really works, and it, it does kind of feel like like a him kind of movie. But yeah, you're right. The the uh, yeah, this would have been a really interesting uh, Sam Raimi take. I, I also would have wouldn't have mind seeing uh, Tim Burton. Do something like this. I think the characters, the creatures would have been really fun to look at. The creatures would have been interesting, but it would have been, there would have been too much of a, Burton wouldn't have worked for anything outside of the creatures, in my opinion. Like, I don't know, I don't know that that would translate as well for like Shazam and the foster kids and whatnot. There's, and there's probably a reason why he hasn't done a, a comic book movie. I think, you know, Alice in Wonderland is probably as close as we're going to get. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Because I think that story is weird enough to lend itself to his sensibilities. But I, yeah. I think I'm okay in a world where we don't have the Tim Burton Superman with uh, Nicolas Cage. As, as no, we, we don't need that. Um, a couple other kind of cool little trivia bits that I like. First of all, uh, I do... I've I've heard a couple of clips from the commentary track of this with director David Sandberg, and it makes me want to watch the movie with the commentary track because there's a great moment where in the uh, mall, in the shopping mall, when he's running away from the uh, toy store, there's a group. If you look in the background, there's a bunch of disinterested looking shoppers and like a couple janitors with a, a mop bucket in front of them, and they just look like they're nonplussed about what's going on. It's because they weren't extras. They were crew members that were accidentally shot nice. in the scene. And they didn't realize it until a, the, the, in the commentary track, he's like, so so we have them here, and now there's not enough time to digitally paint them out. There's just enough time for us to paint in a few bags and a mop bucket, and now they are shoppers and janitors, and that's how we fix that. <laughs> <laughs> That just that made my day. And then there's another one where, um, so the scene where the kids tell Billy that you know, hey, we, we know where your real mom is. She's just a couple train stops away. She switched to her maiden name. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he just bolts out of the house and starts running down the street. 
and the foster parents go out and then they go to leave and they tell the kids to stay. And uh, let's see how this goes. So um, Sandberg was informed by the costume department that the children would need to be shown wearing the same clothes in that scene and the climactic battle because the way the sequencing worked out and it was outdoors in winter and all of that. So Darla is the slow one getting ready and because Faith Herman was busy working on This Is Us and she couldn't be there that day of filming. So she's not in the outdoor shots of that. She's indoors still putting her shoes on. So then Sandberg jokingly said, you know, later on, well, now people are going to make that connection that she happens to be the one that gets the super speed, right? Because she was the slow one in the family. And like, it wasn't meant to be that way. Like, that's not the implication. It just sort of, that's how it worked out. It was one of those happy accidents where you can make that inference. And I just love like stuff like that just makes me smile. Um, Absolutely. Also, the Superman. I, it, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying it. It always blows me away. So I've worked in a, on a handful of movies and, and TV shows, and mm-hmm. it always blows me away when you hear about like, oh, we accidentally shot the entire crew. <laughs> like, I I don't understand. Has a guy who has worked on set, mm-hmm. like, if you can see the lens of the camera, then you're in the shot. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, I don't understand. Like, so, like, there's all these movies, like these big budget blockbusters. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean has this great scene where Jack is be- is the captain of the Pearl again, and there's a guy. It's the DP with a freaking cowboy hat over his left shoulder yep. on the boat, looking over the water because he is unaware he's in the shot. Like, how are you not aware you're in the shot? I just, as the boom operator, I was very aware of where the lens was, shadows, oh yeah, things like that. Which, which is a because I've worked in that, then I'm always hyper vigilant of it. So like, um. You'll laugh at this. So, um, our 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 mutual friend Scott Johnson uh, and myself, we both love and and you as well love the West Wing. Yeah, and I have I have rewatched it easily seven times. Okay, so that's seven more so, times than I have. You've not seen the West Wing? No the the joke prevailing joke is that uh, I need to watch it, and Ace in the chat is about to say that I need to watch it. Oh, <laughs> well. Okay, I thought you had seen it. <laughs> well, that's fine. Either I mean, way, I'm familiar with the show, and I'm sure that I will enjoy it when I finally get around to watching it. I just haven't yet. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. So, and my wife knows that I love it and whatever. So, um, the kids are out of the house uh, Saturday morning, uh, yesterday morning. And so, we start doing um, some some Christmas decorating. And I said, let's turn something on that we've seen that we can just have on the background. She says, all right. So she turns the TV on. I walk out of the room. I come back on. And it's like season three, episode five of The West Wing. I go, what? What?" And I just kind of give her this look. And she says, there's a marathon of West Wing going on on some channel I've never heard of. Right. Because we actually still have cable. Sure. And so I said, well, if we're going to watch The West Wing, we're going to do it right. So I pull up HBO app on my on my <laughs> TV. And start from the beginning. So I started watching it with my wife, uh, forcing her to watch it. My, the whole point of me leading to this is that now that I'm watching it, because usually I watch it on my phone. Right. This is the first time I'm watching it on a big 60-inch TV screen. And in the pilot episode, I, I saw a boom shadow that it was 100% directly in the shot. And I thought, gosh, dang it. Yeah. Now I'm going to start seeing all these flaws because I'm watching it on a big TV. So... I recently saw, I love uh, a YouTube series um, channel called Film Joy, and it's Mikey Newman, 
And if you ever get a chance, if you're a movie guy at all, watch Mikey Newman's stuff because the guy just, he's so good at sort of the, the film essays. And he had a video recently and he equated producing a movie is like throwing a dart from orbit and hitting a bullseye. And I've never, <laughs> I've never understood and believed in something so hard as when he said that, because it's true. Like the fact that movies get finished and made and produced and put out at all is kind of a miracle because of all of those things. And so to see those little flaws happen, it's when you realize like, yeah, it's never perfect. No matter how much of a perfectionist you can be, something's going to slip somewhere. Um, and so I do find myself noticing those things, but I just chalk them up to like, yeah, no, shit's hard. Like <laughs> as somebody who used to make amateur productions and, you know, our lighting was whatever lights were in the room at the time, cause that's what we could afford. Um, yeah. so it was it, like combating shadows was impossible. It was just, we yeah. had to, we had to make sure that we weren't standing between the sun and the subject, uh, but you know, that's what it was. Um, all right. So the Superman cameo at the very end, uh, was awesome. And it was originally supposed to be, um, Henry Cavill. In fact, it was always supposed to be Henry Cavill actually walking in, but he couldn't make it. They, they had a very short amount of time they could use to shoot in that school. So they ended up just having to use Zachary Levi's stunt double in the Superman costume, which I think worked out better to just have him shot from the neck down. I think it was yeah. funnier that way. Um, but I just, I love that that's, that they did that. And it was like, they were always going to have Henry Cavill that he just couldn't make it, but he loved the idea of it. Um, and it's such a fun moment at the end too. <laughs> and the reaction from the kid is perfect. Huh? Yeah. He just got screamed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like, yeah. So there's some fun, there's a couple fun Easter eggs that, uh, that I noticed. Um, and I already mentioned the one that was black Adam, uh, and I'm going to actually go see that movie this week, finally. So I'm curious to see how that turns out because I've heard not great things about it, but I don't care. Uh, you know, I'm still still going to watch it. But um, one of the doors in the Rock of Eternity, which is such a cool name for a place, the Rock of mm -hmm. Eternity. But they go to that room with all the doors, and uh, they open the door, and there's the three crocodiles playing poker. Yeah. Which is just so bizarre. And then they all come running at the door. Those are cro the crocodile men, and they're like characters from the old comic. They were they were enemies <laughs> of Captain Marvel, and it was the director that did the motion capture for them, um, David Sandberg. So thought that was kind of fun. Um, the high school that they go to is Fawcett Central High School. Fawcett Comics were the original publishers of Captain Marvel. Nice. So it was a nice little nod. I like seeing again stuff like that. Little Easter eggs. Um, they had two Easter eggs to char other characters from the comics, uh, not just the crocodile men, but, um, in the Vasquez foster home, there's rabbits everywhere. There's like Darla's got a toy bunny. There's, uh, a silver bunny towel holder and like all this stuff. There was a character in the old Marvel Captain Marvel comics, um, called the Marvel bunny. And it was a sentient talking rabbit. There was also a character that was a talking tiger. And so, and he was um, like a, an ally of Captain Marvel. And so Shazam in this movie has like a tiger motif. Because if you remember, Billy wants that stuffed tiger at the beginning. And then he gives the yeah. little stuffed tiger to the girl. Which was also such a cool scene. Because like 
the underlying symbolism of that scene is really neat where here's Billy who that was literally the tiger he wanted as a child, you know, whatever it was 10 years earlier. The same stuffed tiger and he's giving it to that little girl as like a way to placate her and, and let her know things will be safe. Um, and also his uh, the clips that held his cape on had tigers on them. So like they, they work tigers oh, and rabbits cool. and stuff. Uh, it's, again, it's like production design, just getting to have some fun and throw some Easter eggs out there. I thought that was really fun. Um, oh, uh, another piece of trivia is we had several. We mentioned um, Jaiman Hansu was in Marvel and DC stuff. Zachary, Zachary Levi was as well because he played Frandrill in uh, two Thor movies. Yeah. Before they, uh, they replaced him. They replaced the guy that was in Thor 1 and no one noticed. <laughs> they replaced him no one noticed and then they killed the character off uh, in part because because Zachary <laughs> Levi was working on this so it's like oh geez um, well and he had such a dumb death I always felt bad for for the the Warriors 3 because they died such bitch deaths but they did they didn't but we didn't really care about them all that much anyway because they're barely in like they're in Thor 1 a good bit they're barely in Thor 2 and it's, obviously they're not yeah you know, they and it bums it's, me it's out fine. because they're they're great characters and they deserve better yeah but it's what happens um but yeah those were some easter eggs and and bits of trivia about this movie that I thought were just fun uh i really liked the faucet central high and they they put it on such prominent display in the background of the shots in the cafeteria where it's written all over the walls like that's cool i i just thought that was fun um I did capture a couple of audio clips. If you, uh, well, if before you're... you play these clips, I want to play. I want to mention one other thing that. Oh yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, no, I, go I, for I, it. I bumped on these last few things that I bumped on. Yeah, absolutely. One was uh, the bit that you played at the beginning of the intro, where <laughs> you know Sinestro. I keep saying Sinestro, where Mark Strong is doing his monologue in Zachary Lives. Like what? They do this exact bit in Kung Fu Panda too. Mm-hmm. Where 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 Poe has come and he's saying his hero speech and Gary Oldman who plays a peacock can't hear him. Yeah, and he's like, "What?" And then you know, I just so when this this moment happens, my wife looks at me and goes, "Really, Kung Fu Panda 2? I'm like, "Well, if you're gonna copy uh, a bit from a movie, might as well be a good movie," because uh, I like that movie. It, it then, is a good movie, but it's also it's also great because it short, sort of shows you that the villain monologues don't really it doesn't matter what they're saying, like you. It you you can done. fill in those blanks by yourself. So it's like, it's a great use of that subversion of the villain monologue, as well as a great joke that, yes, was done in Kung Fu Panda 2, and I'd forgotten about it. Because I haven't seen Kung Fu Panda 2 in a while, so I forgot that yeah. bit. Um, but it's a great use of it, and I, I think it's it's very funny. So, yeah. My, my favorite version of that is still when... Uh, there's there's two subversions of it, right? There's there's two good ones, right? The Incredibles, where yeah. they they make fun. Of, oh, you got me monologuing, right? Like they they're aware that villains monologue, and yeah. and they they talk about it. But the other one is Loki in Avengers when he starts to monologue yes. to to the Hulk, and the Hulk just picks him up by the gra- foot and just smashes him into the ground. I mean, my theater exploded in laughter. Oh yeah. Oh. When that happened, Absolutely. when I saw it the first time, it still makes me laugh to mm-hmm. this day when I see it because it's still funny. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I love it. Again, I don't, 
I'm not mad that they 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 took it from whatever we we borrow bits from. Sure. <laughs> Pewter God. We 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 borrow bits and stuff from movies all the time, and it's fine. It's just one of those things where I couldn't enjoy the moment because all I was thinking about was Poe <laughs> in Kung Fu Panda Two. And uh. then we have the the mid credits or the early credits before we have the mid credit scene, and then we have the full credits, and then the end credits. Right. Yep. And I'm watching this, going, "Oh, that's it's, we're watching Spider-Man: Homecoming." I actually this is the exact same. Yeah. I made the exa- I made the same note, which was it's Spider-Man: Homecoming uh, credits, even down to having a Ramon song playing over that yeah. an- that that hand-drawn animation style, slightly stop-motiony thing that they were doing. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, and I and I thought that was an interesting thing. Again, an interesting thing to do. And maybe it was the same company. I don't know. Maybe the director said, "Hey, uh, do that," because I thought that was really clever for Spider-Man: Homecoming. And and I I mean I love Spider Man Homecoming. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite non John Hughes John Hughes movies. Um, I've I mean I often said like it feels like a John Hughes movie if, if John if, Hughes would have written a superhero yeah. movie. Yeah, it has a lot of that to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, even 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 as far as that when Spider Man is, is swinging through suburban uh, <laughs> New, uh, New York. There's some kids watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh yeah, yeah, that I love so that. The, the movie is aware of it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, I I definitely noticed that about those end credits, which you know I'm fine with. Again, it, we you know movies movies follow trends, and Spider-Man: Homecoming certainly wasn't the first movie to have a, a credit sequence that's done in that fashion, um, but. It was definitely having a Ramon song as well of I don't and, and the whole I don't want to grow up and like some of the music on in the movie itself that they used was very kind of on the nose. Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see at the beginning? Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, dad and brother don't hear or see what you are experiencing at all. Um, yeah. Which, so, but I did really enjoy when the crash is happening and the music comes to the forefront. Oh, yeah. And like like the same like, fade i actually really thought that was very clever uh Mm -hmm. as a i thought that was a really cool directorial decision all right again last thing sorry no and then we can play clips you can play clips but i need you to explain something comic book guy because i don't understand it sure i got really confused and admittedly again i take notes and i was when when the moment happened at the end when Mark Strong is having his lunatic moment in the asylum or the prison that he's in. Yep. And uh, I, I, all I can think of is like, oh, it's Aslam, As- Aslam, A- Amsalam from uh, Alice in Wonderland. That the 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 oh the caterpillar smoking yeah. caterpillar. And I was like, what the hell is this? And my wife says, you don't remember that from the beginning? And I said, no. And. Uh, apparently that he's in the movie earlier yep. in the cave of wonders or the rock of eternity or what it's called. Yeah. Okay. A says Mr. Mind. Yeah. Excuse me. Hold on. So, so in the beginning of the movie, when, when so, so, um, Sivana gets to the rock of eternity, there's a shot that shows that character, which is Mr. Mind from the comics. It was a telepathic, uh, creature. And then after, Savannah has his little fight and he breaks out the seven deadly sins and roughs up Shazam and leaves. When Billy comes in, there's a shot showing that same little canister, but it's broken now. So that's when Mr. Mind got out. And it's one of those where 
if you know the comic and you see that little worm, you're like, oh, it's Mr. Mind. That's that, that Easter egg. But then they show it the second time and then for him to come back in that end credit sequence to help uh, sort of, you know, sequel bait a little bit. Um, yeah, but they definitely did set that up. So I'm glad, I'm glad you know, or your wife noticed that, uh, and brought, and you brought that up. Cause, um, I thought, uh, I thought that was kind of a clever way to do it. I didn't think about it until they showed him sitting on the ledge in that window. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that's right. He was in the beginning and then he was missing because he got out. Okay. See, like, like this is like this is what happened at the end of Avengers for me, right? Like when Avengers, when the big purple guy shows up and smiles at the camera, mm-hmm. I had no idea who the hell that was. I had to go home and Google it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, so like last night, I go, I don't what? Where did he come from? And she said, Oh, he was in, yeah, Thanos. So like when, um, this is why I can't have a chat room, Travis, <laughs> during my show. I get I, so distracted. Oh, I understand. Um, I completely understand. <laughs> That's what stuff like that is, is that I can, I can fully like get behind uh, and, and sympathize and empathize when people are like, oh, I feel like I have to do research to watch these movies. But what I like about something like that is whether it is Thanos showing up at the end of Avengers in that mid credit sequence, or it's Mr. Mind in this. The story being told is not affected by that at all. And if you are well versed in and, and there's been there's certainly been times in the, in these movies where I don't remember or know the character that's being referenced or the I don't catch the Easter egg the first time, but I might catch it on a second time or I might I might notice something is odd and then I'm like, well, I'll go check out what that is. So like I knew of uh from Shazam comics, I knew of um, Black Adam, and I remembered Mister Mind a little bit enough because uh, it was an important plot point. I love the the comic Kingdom Come from the mid '90s, and there was a plot point that involved um, Billy Batson and Mister Mind and mind control worms, and that was how they they had uh, they had Billy Batson working for somebody. So it was like it was, the way the comic was structured. That's what made me think of it, but. It's definitely the type of thing I wouldn't have. I noticed at the beginning of the movie, and it didn't trigger immediately that that was Mister Mind. But then when he, when they made a point of showing the broken glass the second time, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. But I like stuff like that because it does do for you, like coming out of Avengers, where you go home and you look up who's the purple dude at the end of the movie. Yeah. So, I, I think well, it's in fun, my case, but I. I... Yeah, I asked my buddy who would, who would later join me on the podcast, who was my conflict guy. I'm like, hey, who was the purple guy? He goes, oh, that's Thanos. I'm like, you need to tell me what this Thanos is. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to, again, uh, address the chat here. Uh, Ace Moon says that sets up the hopefully coming soon sequel. Well, not only is it coming soon, it's 2023. I'm on the IMDb page. There's a trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. There is. Sadly, I've, I don't I've been see it while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, I don't I I've watched the trailer and they're going with at least according to the trailer. Now, who knows what'll actually be in the movie? The uh the daughters of Atlas are the characters in the trailer. Uh played by two of them are Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren. 
Yeah. Which sign me up. Helen Mirren in a movie, don't care, watching it. Like yeah. she's just amazing. Absolutely. So I'm very curious to see this Shazam Fury of the Gods. Uh, and I'm glad it's getting a sequel. I wish the reception of Black Adam had been better. Most of what I heard, most of what I've heard about it isn't that it's a horrible movie. It's just not anything groundbreaking. It's fairly pedestrian in terms of like, yeah, it's got action sequences, but they're not anything new. So it's less, I'm hearing less that it's a bad movie and more it's just, it's it's kind of feels like a retread or kind of feels like you've seen this type of movie before. And maybe, maybe that's so, but I still... I'm fine with having kind of different uh, different comic book properties or just different properties in general if they're good stories to tell being out there and having them in all the different styles, whether it is a Zack Snyder, darker, grittier style or this lighter stuff. Um, and I think DC just, just making a good movie, not trying to force everything to be a connected universe, which I think was their problem, was they tried too hard in that direction just make the movies good and then let them connect themselves. So let the, the Shazam movies be this more lighthearted family kind of stuff. I, I do, I do feel like, and I've, I've harped on this on my show though. Your listeners would know this, but you know what Marvel did right, what Disney did not do well enough and which DC has ultimately failed at is having a unifying, they're Kevin Feige, right? Mm-hmm. They need that guy to say, this is what, now, people argue that Phase 4 of Marvel has been kind of meandering. We're not sure what's going on because we've got these shows, and we're not... I just think that means we don't know what the outcome is yet. We just... We haven't seen... We don't. We can't picture what Avengers 4 is going to look like, or 5, I guess, yeah. 5. What Avengers 5 is going to look like yet. But, but I, I do... That's one thing that's been kind of my big, my big bugaboo about the DCEU is that there isn't a unifying voice or vision. And, you know, the best movie that come out of DC in the last five years is not part of the DCEU, which is the Batman, which was really good. I really enjoyed it. But now it's like, well, now I want more movies in that universe. But that's kind of its own thing. And it's over there, which is fine. And then we have the Joker, which is over here and has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with this. And, it's just like, oh, and then we have this Flash TV show, which has nothing to do with anything else. And we have, like, it's all of these places, and they're all whatever. And whereas Marvel is just like, hey, now that Marvel Studios exists, because Marvel Studios, you know, 2008 with Iron Man, mm-hmm. you know, they said, hey, we're going to do our own thing, and we're going to be whatever. And then, you know, Disney buys it. But, you know, the TV show is a companion piece to the movies. Yeah. Like, it's all... Well, I, I personally like that. Uh, you know, like I'm comforted by that. I'm comforted by looking at. I have ten Star Trek movies and eight or so TV shows that are all connected, and I find comfort in that. And DC makes me uncomfortable. Well, and and that's not something new with DC. DC has always had sort of they had to basically retcon in a multiverse because early on DC characters you had your Batman, your Superman. But like Green Lantern, The Flash, um, and characters like that, they had their Golden Age version. But then in the 60s, they got redone Green Lantern as well. Or uh, I said Green Lantern. Um, they would they would get redone in these new versions. So like Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, not the original Green Lantern. 
the original one was a guy named Alan Scott, and the character was very different. Like his weakness, the original Green Lantern's weakness was anything made out of wood. Like the ring just wasn't usable against that. The original Flash is a different character. He looks different. Then they had to retcon in and say, well, that was a Flash from an alternate universe. And then you got the DC multiverse. And so this has been going on for a long time with DC where they have sort of these weird disparate versions of everything going on. And then they had their, in the 80s, they had their Crisis on Infinite Earths event where they brought all their comics continuity into one thing. Well, they've done that several times now. Um, but it's, it, and part of it is like, like I said earlier, DC comics being under the umbrella of Warner brothers and now by extension discovery because they bought them Warner brothers having this history of more kind of creator driven. That's where you get these different versions. That's why you've got Chris Nolan's dark Knight trilogy, which has nothing to do with and doesn't exist in the same world that that man of steel does. So we have a different version of Batman for that. We do finally have a unifying voice, um, James Gunn. And, uh, I can't remember the other guy that's, that's with him, but they're, they're, they're taking over kind of DC studios and they're going to be that Kevin Feige type character for it moving forward. Um, which is great because I do think that if you're going to have that person, it should be someone who's very invested in the comics and in the stories. And Gunn definitely has that. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what he can kind of bring to that as far as like a steadying influence where, and I don't mind, it doesn't bother me as much that things aren't always connected because you can add connections later to things. Comic books have done it for, for decades, but what I want at the end of the day is I want whatever I'm watching to be a well-done story. And what Marvel did was, while they had to kind of, you know, obviously figure out the connected, the connected story as they, as they grew, they had at least the underlying idea of we're going to start this out with Iron Man. And if it does well, we can do these other movies. We can make Hulk. We can make Captain America and then bring them together. So, starting off with the idea that the potential to connect them all is going to be there as opposed to just making an Iron Man movie. And then when we make our next movie, we don't want any connections to it at all. Like allowing there to be those connections between films and then letting that, that world, that universe grow organically out of it, as opposed to what DC tried to do, unfortunately was, they put out Man of Steel and then immediately tried to shoehorn everything else together before any of it had come out. And so you get Batman versus Superman and they throw Wonder Woman in there and a cameo appearance of Cyborg and Flash and Aquaman for no reason other than to set up that they're going to get together later. That doesn't work. That's forcing that, that thing to happen instead of just letting it be a thing that happens. So that's, how, that's yeah. where kind of I fall on all that. And I don't necessarily disagree. I do think what happened was that it was a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Because Marvel yep. was making billions. Oh yeah. And and you know DC was like, hey, we want some of that money. And so when they did, because Man of Steel comes out and it's fine. It's not great. It's fine. I enjoyed it. I like the music. And but then you're right. But then the next one is Batman versus Superman. It's like, well, no, let's let's have a Batman with with Ben Affleck first. Yep. And then let's have 
let's have a cyborg movie or you know the aquaman movie like let's have let's do what marvel did and give these guys their own movies so that we don't have to shoe them shoehorn them into uh dawn of justice or whatever yeah or cuz cuz even the justice league movie is a you know the 3 hour 4 hour epic that it eventually turns into <laughs> because you have to create you know everyone's got to get their own story anyway so i don't know i just yeah, it's and, a longer conversation for another day. I didn't mean to hijack your oh, show. Oh no, but. no, no, no! I, that's what I like is getting into these conversations. Like, because Marvel, Marvel did that, and it started it in '08, and by 2012, they were what? So we had we had Iron Man, uh, Hulk, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man two, and then we got yes. Avengers in 2012. So from Not 2000 in that order, but yes. 2008 to 2012 we had six movies and the, over four years and obviously it was all hinging on Iron Man doing well but it took them four or five years and multiple movies to get to it was the sixth movie where all of them teamed up and yeah. DC tried to do that on their third movie really their, their second movie but their third movie was the team-up movie. The second movie had too much stuffed into it to begin with. And we, we also saw that with Universal and their dark universe, where they tried to do revive all their monster movies. That lasted one movie. You know, yeah. They tried to put so much of that world-building into The Mummy that The Mummy as a movie wasn't any good because too much was paid attention to like all the connection stuff. And it's like, no, make The Mummy. Make Frankenstein, make Jekyll and Hyde, and then bring them together instead of starting off two steps ahead because then your first step, you're tripping. So that just doesn't work. And and Marvel has been able to like branch it out. Marvel is a lot more um, akin to like comic book reading at this point too where you don't have to watch everything and consume everything. There are people who, who do... Um, I mean, I do. I like all the stuff that they come out with, but I also look at it as, as all of it's very different, whether it's a sitcom like She-Hulk or something that is aimed at a, a slightly younger audience like like Miss Marvel um, or the movies. But you can, you can take in all of it, you can take in the parts that you like, and you're going to get something out of it, I feel. Um, is there some fatigue involved? I think for some people, maybe yes. And that's fine. Um, we had the same thing with, you know, you could go down the same road with uh, with any property that gets big enough. Like anything that gets large enough, at some point people are just going to get tired of it. Whether it's yeah. Marvel, Star Wars, doesn't matter. But we're, we are in such an interesting age of, of entertainment right now and how much is available out there and how much is getting made that you know, two decades ago or 10 years ago wouldn't have happened that I just, I'm just trying to enjoy all of it. I really, really am. And, and some of it isn't going to work. Some of it's going to fall flat, you know, for every, uh, real fun guardians of the galaxy or the suicide squad team up, you get, uh, David Ayer's suicide squad, which is not necessarily all his fault, but studio interference and whatnot and changes that got made. That movie just didn't work for me. So, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. Um, I do still have clips if you want to hear them, though. 
of of Shazam. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's fine. No, I I like letting the conversation go where it's going to go. That's one of the best parts about this the, this show. Um, yeah, and I don't have a ton of clips. There was some good stuff, but uh, for the most part, I got. Uh, I just liked this because it was an ad libbed moment um, when he's in the toy store and he grabs one of the toys. I'm Batman. Get him, Batman. Because the get him, Batman was like ad libbed. Yeah, uh, and that cracked me up. Um, let's see. Uh, crazy is what this one's labeled. And here with an eyewitness account of the event. It was crazy, man. Creatures from hell. That that Santa Claus running gag throughout the movie just killed me because he's first yeah. in the mall. And then Shazam comes popping out because he's like, I'll always be here for you, kid. And as soon as something happens, that dude just took off. And then yeah. later on at the carnival, it's the same Santa and stuff starts to go wrong. And he just freaks out and starts running. So when they brought him back for the third time and that payoff, I I could not help but laugh. That was so good. Um, So when they're at the Rock of uh, Eternity and they need to come back, and they're asking Billy, like, what did you do last time? He said, I thought about the subway, and I ended up back in the subway. Yeah. <laughs> it's such it's such a great – because by that by this point in the movie, you've forgotten that he went into the, the strip club as, uh, as Shazam, as an adult. Like, you can kind of yeah. have forgotten about that. So for them to teleport back, and they you just see it from the outside, and it's just the lightning strikes, and then them running out cracked me up. But the funniest part of it is as they're running away and Darla sees Freddy after he comes out with the glitter on his face. Yeah. And just her reaction. <laughs> I, I want glitter. It was just, it was so good. So I captured. No, not from them. <laughs> no, not from them. <laughs> I loved that. Um, yeah. And my wife says, of course, a 14 year old boy wants to go back to the strip club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably the first time he's ever seen boobs. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was also, so we did say like the training montage could have been shortened up or maybe you didn't necessarily need the second one in the like abandoned warehouse type building, but it did give us some really funny moments. And one of them was just this reaction from the adult Billy Batson when Freddie is trying to help him harness his powers. It's so perfect. It's like, well, obviously you just do that. Like, how is any of this obvious at all? Uh, yeah. I love that. Um, and then finally, after after they test out his bulletproofness and he gets shot in the face, um, it's just it kind of tickles. <laughs> which yeah. you know now I've now I've got for my soundboard forever is just it kind of tickles. And I need to figure out where yeah. I'm going to use that because that's fun. Oh, I'm sure you'll find ways. <laughs> yeah, you'll find you'll find ways. Look, Shazam. I, honestly, I had heard that it was fun. Um, I'd heard from a few people that it was uh, it was lighthearted. Um, I really had a good time with it. Is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. There are some flaws to it. Mostly for me, it was just a little bit of pacing issue um, and kind of the pacing of the story. Like there was, it was very quick for him to go from like new kid to, hey, we're best friends, to, oh, I don't like you anymore, I'm jealous of you, to now we're, we're good friends again. Like, that felt a little forced, a little rushed, but, look, I'm nitpicking, really. Like, did I yeah. sat down and I had a good time for two hours and ten minutes, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it's worth watching. Even if you're not, like, a huge 
Shazam Captain Marvel fan, if you haven't studied the comics or anything, you're just going to have fun with it because it's got this great youthful energy to it. And it's a lighthearted, much more lighthearted take on some comic book stuff. It feels like comic books. It's got the bright colors. I love the look of everything. The suits look great. Um, you know, the, the design of having that lightning bolt inside of the triangle and like the fact that he's got kind of a double cape because Captain Marvel throughout the history of the comics had different length capes. So they just were like, eh, give him a hood and two different capes and fine, just go with it. Um, yeah. And I liked how all the kids wore the colored jackets that they wore were the colors they were at the end. That's always fun. Yeah. Um, and I just, I loved like, even little things like the staff, when Shazam is walking around, the wizard is walking around with that staff, there's like smoke and particles just kind of wafting off of it at all times, which I thought was a neat mm-hmm. thing that it's just this nice little touches. So I had a good time with it. I love the look of it. Um, and, and I think it's worth watching. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I, I think I teased, can't remember if it was pre-show or not, that um, it's it's it would be in my top three of the DC movies that I've seen or the DCEU, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not counting the Christopher Nolan trilogy or the original Batman or whatever. Like, if you if you count D, what DC has been has made in the last ten years, uh, I still personally think Wonder Woman is the best uh, of that of that group. Uh, I have um, long made the contention or the point that what Marvel did was they made sorry if my can are you hearing <laughs> discord is beeping at me are you hearing those no, uh not? you're you're good okay, i'm not as long as they're not coming through the recording of course mm-hmm. now this is but um what i always enjoyed that marvel did was that they made really good uh genre movies right you know mm-hmm. you know like catholics like um Captain America 2 is just a spy movie, right? Yeah. And then they just add superheroes into it. Like Wonder Woman is a war movie. It's just a World War One movie. Yep. And it was interesting because you don't get a lot of movies about World War One, And and then they just added in those characters, which I thought they did really well. Now, World War, uh, Captain Wonder Woman 2 failed miserably, in my opinion, on many accounts. But I don't want to get into that. Uh, so that's why I like this movie, though. Like this movie has... It just kind of feels like a nice coming of age story. Yeah, and and then they added in the superhero myth later. Yep. So I, I think that's what they did. So I would probably put this one, Wonder Woman number one. I probably would put this one second in my in my list if I was going to list them out. Um, I think I saw Ace earlier say that they liked Aquaman, or somebody said they liked Aquaman. I thought Aquaman was as generic as generic can get. I didn't really care for it one way or the other. Like it's, it was so forgettable and just unremarkable. Like I remember Wonder Woman being really bad, but you know, it was fine. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Man of Steel number, number two. I don't know. I would, I personally would put this above. Um, and I, I not too long ago uh, did a rewatch of Man of Steel Batman vs Superman before I watched the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League um, mm-hmm. because I kind of wanted to just get the feel actually I watched the 2017 Justice League as well to sort of compare and contrast but what I found was 
after watching this, now this opinion might change as I get kind of further away from my first viewing of Shazam, but I feel like outside of the first three quarters of Wonder Woman, this is the best that the DCEU had done. Because I do think the last, the very end of Wonder Woman, while the whole the movie is great and it would still, it's enough to put it above Shazam for me um, as a film, if I'm ranking them, that very end just fell into the big CG punching fest that a lot of comic book movies can fall into. And it it's the it's the trope, it's the thing, you know, you got two superpowered uh people bouncing off each other. Uh, so it is what it is. Um but I would probably put Shazam second. I might put it in a tie cuz I did like Aquaman. Um, I thought that Momoa was really good. I thought that it was, uh, I loved some of the other characters in there. Um, but, you know, quite honestly, as far as the extended DC Universe stuff goes, it's kind of a low bar to clear. I I didn't hate any of the Snyder stuff, but I don't, I'm not a diehard fan of it. Like, I, I still think Zack Snyder's best work was his remake of Dawn of the Dead. And that was one of the first things he did. Like, he's, he yeah. hasn't really recaptured that. Um, and I, I enjoyed, like, I enjoyed Watchmen when I saw it in theaters. I have nothing against that movie. I have nothing against, uh, you know, his four hour version of justice league. Um, I think it, that that version for instance is better than the 2017 one that was hacked together, but the DC movies for the most part have not lived up to the legacy that the comics and the animation department can have. Now having James Gunn in there is going to help and he wants to kind of unify all of that together. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad absolutely is my number two. Yeah, I mean the Suicide Squad was so yeah. good. The Suicide Squad, whatever it's called. Yep. Whatever one is the good one. That one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, my absolute I, I mean that movie just James Gunn just does, has some way with telling stories that shouldn't work in ways that just do. And doing ensemble movies too, right? Because yes. Like, I mean, when I, I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy was announced, I, again, I knew nothing about it. You know, Nobody my, did. My primary... Yeah, no one did. And so when when we had when we were doing the, the podcast, my good friend Cornelius, who's a big comic book nerd, I mean, he's read all of it. it it's kind of... He's almost savant-like with it. <laughs> and I said, Guardians of the Galaxy? What the hell is this? And he goes... It's a car, It's a comic book with a talking tree and a talking raccoon. Yep. And I'm like, are, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. And I go, this is going to be real dumb. And then when I saw the trailer and saw, you know, Chris, Chris Pratt in it, I thought, and I had not watched, uh, community, no, not community, um, Parks and Rec. Right. So, to me, Chris Pratt was just a comedian that I had seen some things of, but didn't know anything about. So when I saw that they cast him, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Whatever. But then I watched the movie in the theater and was just blown away at how good it was and how much fun it was and how much it worked. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, so yeah, you want to put James Gunn in charge of the DCEU going forward? That's fine. Yeah, so I'm, I'm good with you, that. Uh, apparently, you and Ace can't be friends anymore for some reason. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just it is what it is. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Shazam. I'm I'm really glad that we both got to see this because I needed an excuse to watch it uh, myself. Yeah. And, and when we were talking about stuff to do, uh, this seems like a great choice. So I'm glad that you got to see it too. And 
it's always fun when we both enjoy the movie too. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, it does help. Um, it, it does help, I think. And like I said, my my podcast mates have been have been bugging me <laughs> for a while to see it um, because <laughs> because they know I'm so I'm such a sourpuss when it comes to DC movies. So, well, uh, now um, do you have any desire to see either Black Adam or the sequel to this, Fury of the Gods? I will definitely see Black Adam, um, mainly because one of my favorite actors is in it, Aldous Hodge. Oh, I love Aldous Hodge. Oh. He, I know him from the TV show Leverage. Yep. And and Leverage is like one of my top four rewatch comfort shows. And I'm I uh, just started watching uh, Leverage Redemption, the the sequel show, the series that came out. Oh yeah. You know, yep. Last year. Yeah. And so now he's not in it much because he's doing this stuff. He's yeah. making films. But I love him. So as soon as I saw that he was cast in it, and knowing nothing about the character at all, I just saw that. I was like, oh, I'm here for it. So I do. I will see it. Probably not in the theater. It'll probably be at home on my big screen. But I'll, I'll check it out. And I do want to see... Yeah, I mean, I, I, so the trailer was playing because when you just land on the IMDb page, yep. you know, the trailer has played about seven times while we've been talking, <laughs> though I can't hear it. So I am pretty interested because, like, Zachary Levi is sitting there having looks like burgers and French fries with, with Helen Mirren yeah. in, her, in her costume. And I'm like, what is happening? Uh, but I'm I, all for it. I, I watched that trailer earlier, and I'm like, yep, I'm down. I'm down for this. Um, yeah. I'm definitely going to see Black Adam, too. Aldous Hodge. Aldous Hodge is one of those actors that just he just has a magnetism, a charisma to him when he's on screen. I don't know what it is. Just some some people have it. You know, it's that Denzel Washington thing. It's uh, it's uh, Jonathan Majors has it, where you just you see these guys on on or or, or gals, anybody. Um, Helen Mirren does too. They're on screen, and you're just like you're compelled. You have to watch what they're doing. Um, yeah. And and Leverage is a underrated show. I feel like it. It gets a little tropey, a little formulaic, but it's a great. You you put it perfectly in it being like kind of those rewatch comfort shows. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's perfect for that. Um, quick Aldous Hodge uh, trivia that you might know, you might not. Um, and this actually ties back to the first episode of this show I ever did. You know what movie he was in back in the in the nineties? He is the older brother in Die Hard Three. He's the younger one. The younger brother. Excuse yep. me. Yeah. Die Hard He's with a Vengeance. Die Hard. Yeah. Which was the first episode of this show I ever did was Die Hard with a Vengeance. Nice. Was it you or your guest who had not seen it? Oh, it was my guest. I saw that movie. Okay. I've seen that movie dozen times probably. Dozens of times, yeah. I actually, my first ever trip to New York City, I retraced as many of the steps of that movie as I could while I was in the city. Nice. Did you steal a taxi cab and try to, dri- and try, try to drive over a mime in Central Park? Uh, not in a taxi cab, but I okay. did go through Central Park and try to run over a mime. I was on foot, nice. so now, it didn't I, work very well. But I am gonna. So since we're here, uh, and I'm gonna hijack your show again for another minute. So they came out with Die Hard the video game mm-hmm. for the PS One back when, and it was a it was a set that had all three movies. Yep. And each game was different. So Die Hard One was like a uh, not a not a side scroller, but it was like a uh, kind of a top whatever shoot 'em up. Yep. You know, sneak around the building and shoot bad guys, right? And then Die Hard 2, I don't remember ever playing. But <laughs> Die Hard 3 was basically Crazy Taxi. Oh, 
Like that's all you did was like you were in a taxi cab, and then you would you have to all right you have to get from this place to this place, and then you're driving through the city of New York in a taxi cab trying to avoid cars and people and stuff. So if anyone else out there huh. has listened that played that game, let Travis know because we I played that game a bunch when I was uh, when I was a kid. I, I I watched those Die Hard movies when I was way too young, but I was a I was a big fan. Oh sure we. we there are anybody around my age we were too young to watch them at the time but we still did um oh real quick uh easter egg thing in the shazam fury of the gods trailer so easter egg in this movie is that the director david f sandberg uh one of his previous movies was annabelle creation um which is a, a horror movie about the annabelle doll and it's part of the conjuring universe the doll from annabelle creation is in shazam in the background in one of the scenes yeah, and I saw it in the trailer for Fury of the Gods. There's a shot in it. <laughs> when you watch it, you'll notice there's a shot where the the guy that um, uh, Zachary Levi is talking to is like, "Okay, yes, but I'm a pediatrician." And then he like points over and you see all the the kid stuff over in the corner. And one of the things was a little Annabelle doll. And I just I got a kick out of that. Nice. All right. I'll creepy, creepy doll though. Very yeah. creepy doll. Um, but yeah, that was one of his earlier movies. So I like that he does that brings, uh, brings the doll back. So yeah, that's, uh, that's Shazam. Um, now Sean, you have mentioned your show a couple times, but let people know who haven't already started listening to it, what the show is and where they can find it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am, um, one third of cheap seat reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. Uh, we, released today as we were recording episode 404 uh, 400 and crap what is it four i have it right here in front of me it's uh 423 and most recently we did a complete review of the music of star trek Ooh. Uh, november was star trek month and i had a, a guest on our show who has been reviewing film scores for his podcast for 25 years 26 years wow. he started out on radio uh, like an NPR, you know, radio, Saturday night's film scores, turned that into a podcast. He's been doing it for, like I said, 26 years. Wow. So having him on was just fantastic. And we go deep dive into the music. And if you like Star Trek or the music of it, did I say Star Trek or Star Wars? I, I, if I said Star Wars, I meant to say Star Trek. But um, last year we did the music of Star Wars. So if you like either one of those, go check them out at cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com, and there you can find links to all 423 episodes. Of That's Cheap a, that is a lot of episodes. I'm coming up on 200, and 400 plus is pretty great. And it's a great show. People should definitely check it out. I have been a guest on it. It was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, you did a uh, like a, a roundup for episode 400, I remember. We, we did some trivia. That was that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, so. it was a good time. Yeah, we did a we did a, a battle of the of cheap seat reviews all stars, <laughs> and we had basically the guests that we liked. <laughs> uh, we, we all we came back and 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 had a big fun trivia game, and it was it was a lot of fun. So and yet, yeah, you know, Travis, you've been on at least I think twice now, right? Yeah, because um, you you let me come on and gush about Lord of the Rings for like. I don't know. I think we recorded for something like 18 hours. It felt like, um, yeah, but, uh, and, and I'm thankful for that. Cause I can talk about those movies forever. Um, and I think also Dr. Sleep, right? Didn't we do that one? Yes. Dr. Sleep. Yes. Yeah, that's that right. Was, yeah. That Dr. was a lot Sleep. of fun. Yeah. 
so yeah, definitely check that out. Cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com uh, or yeah. Cheap Seat Reviews on Twitter as well, I believe. Yeah, uh, we're or at Cheap, cheap Seat Cast. Cheap Seat Cast, yeah. that's right. Uh, I'm also yeah. on Twitter, uh, at TV's Travis. As, as, you know, as long as Twitter's around, I'll be there. Um, I'm on all the socials as TV's Travis, uh, wherever you want to find me. And also uh, TV'sTravis.com which is the easiest place to subscribe to this show. Um, or you can search using uh, ellipses and question marks in your favorite podcast player, and you should find it. Wait, you haven't seen. Uh, show comes out on Wednesdays in the podcast form. It's also available on YouTube. Uh, if you go to YouTube at TV's Travis, you can find the video uh, of the live stream. Uh, that I do every Sunday night of this show as well. So plenty of places and areas to find and listen to uh, me ramble on about movies with whichever guest I've managed to rope in that particular week. This week, Sean, it was you. Um, and thank oh, you. I, thank you for being here. Uh, there was no roping involved. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I um, I forced my way into the door. And I'm I fine that. with that. Um, no, you're, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, it's been fun. I got to have uh, you. I got to have the, the other guys from Cheap Seat back on. Yeah. Because um, that was a ton of fun when I had all three of you on there a while back. Yeah, we so, did Nobody, which was a lot of fun. Oh, man, that movie. I've, yeah. I've had a hankering to watch it again just, just to, like, one of those yeah. comfort watches when the dog wants to, when she's bullying me to go sit in the chair with her for two hours, like, just throw on Nobody and watch it. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, it does. Well, thank you so much for being here this week, and um, we'll definitely do this again because uh, it's fun. It's fun chatting with you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. And until next week. Now, next week is to be determined. So keep an eye on those socials. I'll let you know what movie we're watching and who uh, who I'm chatting with um, as we close in on episode 200, which kind of blows my mind a little bit that I've done this long enough to yeah. get to 200. It'll be sometime after the first of the year. So keep an eye out and ear out for that. Uh, and until then, just remember, enjoy your movies. And uh, look, let's be excellent to each other. All right? like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>